Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Today, we start a new sermon series. These next several sermons will focus on the core values of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. So if you're new to the church, or if you're searching for a new church home, or even if you're a longtime First Pres member, this is a great sermon series to help you understand some of the important concepts of our church. Here's Senior Pastor Dan Chun with the first core value, the presence of God. You know, it's important for any church to know its core values and the values we hold dearly, the ones we strive to live by, the values by which we evaluate all of our ministries. So our church has five core values, which you can find on our website, but we have never taken the time to talk about each of them on a Sunday morning, and they're relatively new. So today is a great day to start this series where we will spend several weeks on each core value. And it's a great day because it's also the day we officially opened the Vine, our new downtown campus at 547 Halekuila in Kaka'ako. And since they will be hearing the same sermons as you will hear today, every week, it would be good for all of us to be in the same wavelength and tribal beat. The first prayer's core values spell out an acronym, and that's the word PATHS. P, for presence of God, they were always seeking it. A, for authenticity, that's how we want to live, be real, genuine. T, for thoughtfulness in our theology. H, for humility, a must for growth. And service, that it's not just about us. We have to serve others and help others. So today we begin with the value in our community of always seeking and inviting the presence of God. Why is a life that is aware of and focused on the presence of God important? Now, think about it. If we really desire God's presence in our life, then we would always seek his voice and wisdom and healing and help. If there is a God, wouldn't we want his help when we're in trouble, when we need guidance on a job, whether to leave or take a new one, or how we use our money, or should we move to the mainland or stay here in Hawaii, or how we can handle failure and suffering, and even more importantly, how we can handle success so it doesn't go to our heads. If we could hear God's voice, we could really strengthen, encourage, and comfort people in the best way possible. If we had the presence of God in our lives, the Bible says we'll have love and peace and joy and gentleness, faithfulness. Our worship would be even more awesome. And in a moment, I would love to read to you a Bible text from the last book of the Bible called Revelation. A lot of people add an S on it, but it's Revelation. But let me give a little intro to this book, because Revelation is a fascinating book with a lot of imagery and metaphors, a a, a Bible book that many think the Apostle John wrote. And the book of Revelation begins with the Apostle John seeing a vision of a man holding seven stars in his right hand and who walks among seven golden lampstands. And according to Revelation chapter 1, the seven stars represent seven angels, and the seven lampstands represent seven churches. Some interpret that each of the seven angels was assigned to each of the seven churches. And the man holding the seven stars in John's vision 
is Jesus. And he'll, you'll see he's called The One, same title as the song by the choir. He is giving his views on seven types of churches that are supposed to be sources of light in a dark world, and that's why they're represented as lampstands. Six of the seven churches need improvement. One doesn't. And the seven churches might be representative of the entire church in the world, because sometimes seven is often seen as the complete perfect number. However, some believe that those churches are referring to seven specific churches in those cities. So I'm going to talk about one of the churches that needs improvement, because this church is a good example for us on how important it is to focus on the presence of God in all that we do. So let us hear this scripture, and please stand if you're able. And why do we stand? Uh, We stand to remember that the Bible is holy and special and not just any ordinary book. And standing as we listen is our way to focus on the presence of God. So hear this as I read it. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven lampstands. And he says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other, as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me. Do the works you did at first. And if you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. So Jesus starts off affirming this church in Ephesus. He affirms them for their good works, their toil, their patient endurance. And then he affirms them even more. They don't tolerate evildoers. They can detect and reject the false teachers of religion. And we would say, wow, isn't that enough to win the respect of the Lord? Look at all their good works. But then Jesus says to this church in Ephesus, and Here I use a different version. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You've lost your first love. Many people who have just discovered that Jesus is really God and that he loves them and wants to help them are often initially passionate about him, and their whole world changes. It's like how one person said to me that her world turned from black and white into technicolor now that she has a personal relationship with Jesus. And they were so grateful that he loved them when they were not at their best, and maybe even at their sinful worst. And it was like they wanted to hug Jesus and fall at his feet and kiss them because they knew they were saved from a life that was so hurtful and inferior and guilt-ridden. 
It was like this sinful woman in the Bible in, in the Gospel of Luke who was so grateful of, of Jesus for forgiving her sins that she poured expensive oil on his feet to show her love and appreciation for the forgiveness of sins that he offered to all people, and she wiped his feet with her hair. It would be like a military veteran hugging the person who saved him or her during a battle. Some of you may not be Christians, and maybe you might know of friends who first became followers of Jesus, and maybe they invited you to be here today. Maybe you remember how your friends were so zealous when they first came of faith that they excitedly told you about Jesus and that he really was God. And your friends were nuts for Jesus because he gave them hope and joy. And perhaps you thought they were too pushy. And, and maybe they were. It's kind of like, you know, when guys fall in love at first. They, like, they go nuts. They can't stop talking about their romantic other. And, like, they say they're so busy, and then suddenly they have all these free time to see this person. And they act crazy. I mean, tough men buy stuffed bears now and balloons and beautiful flowers to give to their loved one. I've seen guys who hate opera now go to an opera because their girlfriends or wives love opera. And women in love who hate country music or car races or sports events still go to them for the sake of the one they love. Why? Because that is what first love does to people. And they want to be with that special person all the time. They go overboard in expressing their love. Jesus is saying in this scripture, church, those who claim to be Christian, show me some of that first love again. When you couldn't help but talk about me to others. And when you passionately wanted to spend time with me in prayer or in reading scripture. Show me some of that first love. When you sought after me and were content just to sit there and pray and talk with me and read my word when it wasn't a chore. When you saw the word actually as my love letters to you. Jesus is saying, have you forgotten that first love when, that you used to have when you wanted me around? When you enjoyed worshiping, being in my presence, the presence of God. But now, you no longer love me as you first did. And maybe you drifted or things got stale or because it became a routine instead of a relationship. Gut check, you all. Where are we on the spectrum of our first love for our Lord? Has our first love for him been transferred to something else that takes up all of our time and interest? Or maybe our hope for my future security has gone to a politician or gone to a political party or to a country or to our money portfolio or for that power or status or personal achievement that we think that's where our security will come from. Have we a greater love for something or someone else? Have we forgotten the sound of the genuine and replaced it with the racket of the false? Oh, maybe it's not our fault. Oh, when we 
first, we're so excited about telling others about Jesus. Maybe some of the veteran Christians um, told us, could you tone it down? Don't be so zealous. Be normal like the rest of us. And maybe someone said or implied that to be a real Christian means we could just go to a worship service, attend meetings, go to Bible studies to be more intellectual about Jesus. And somehow that extinguished that first love, that we would courageously do anything for Jesus, who said, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, follow me. When we lose our first love, it tragically changed, you can hear it in our prayers, into how I can use God to make me and my family more successful and comfortable. And maybe there was a time when we heard the words of the Apostle Paul, who was willing to die for Christ, say, however I, cons- however I consider my life worth nothing to me, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. Maybe when there, maybe when there was a time when we were in the throes of first love with Jesus, we're up to try anything. Take up a cross, follow him unto death, believe in prayer resulting in supernatural healing, and maybe that God could actually speak to us and we could give what is called prophetic words, words from God that might encourage, strengthen, and comfort one another. But then our passion for God got old or maybe even stale, and we weren't always seeking the presence of God in our lives and we just became as prickly as everyone else. And Jesus said, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Maybe when we first fell in love with Jesus, we said, I will go anywhere to talk about you. I'll be a missionary. I'll go to Africa. I'll work in the slums for you. But then we were told, no. Use your faith instead to find a good job. Use your faith to be safe, comfortable, well-paid. Find a good gig. Forget this love of Jesus to go anywhere. Use Jesus to accomplish your agenda, not his. Be safe, secure. So we decided not to risk, not to go to Africa. But yet today, maybe we're embarrassed when we read that the United States receives, yes, receives more missionaries than any other country by a two-to-one margin over second place, Brazil. Because maybe we lost our first love. That we don't even send people out, we just receive people to tell us about Jesus. Shockingly, in 2013, the number one country that sends missionaries out into the world per capita is not United States, is not even South Korea, is Palestine. So here's the deal. We desperately want this campus, satellite campus, to seek and feel and know and desire the supernatural, spiritually transforming presence of God. And we want people to walk in here and feel God and experience him. We always want to be talking to him and hearing him talk to us. 
And we want people to experience an ongoing relationship with him. We want our people to experience him supernaturally often. Christmas Eve services, we invite the supernatural to occur, don't we? We invite his presence to show up in a unique way. Why do we every, every Christmas Eve service, we ask God to come and hear our prayers, our desperate prayers, and we pray that people be healed right then in the service. And if they are healed or have a prayer answered, they send back a small plastic red rose with a letter explaining what happened. We want people to not just know about God, but to supernaturally experience God himself. His presence is a core value of our church. And hundreds on Christmas Eve send back roses because they felt his presence. Many are miraculously healed. More feel hope and his love. So why do we say also at Easter that if you want to follow this Jesus and know more of his presence, will you accept him right now, not tomorrow, right now, this minute, and then I'm going to ask you in your first act of faith, a renewed act of faith, today to get baptized because Jesus asked us to do that. We want people to feel the presence of God. And more than 800 people have gotten baptized or renewed their baptismal vows on Easter weekend in the last five years. As we will again give individuals and families that option this year. And as I said two weeks ago, if we complain, oh man, the baptisms make the service go like seven minutes longer, then maybe we, as Jesus said in our passage, we've lost our first love for God and for others as baptism is one of the most important spiritual transformations we could witness. We should be rejoicing seeing God's presence and pleasure land in people's lives. Spiritual transformation, I know, is an ongoing process. And once we know Jesus, hopefully we want to follow him more nearly, more dearly, And since he's God, we want to experience him in supernatural ways. We want to seek his presence. We want to desperately try to hear his voice. And we hear it in solitude or in worship as a body, in reading the Bible, maybe meeting in groups, talking about Jesus in an intellectual, muscular, go-for-broke way, and in prayer. Yes, prayer. Super important. You know, um, last week I got some not-so-great news. I may have the beginnings of carpal tunnel syndrome in both hands. Now, uh, don't write me emails what you need, I need to do. <laughs> It'll be like a thousand emails. But I'm fine now, but because I'm feeling some stiffness and tenderness in my hands and fingers, I went to see a doc, and the doc said, oh, it could be the signs that it is coming. Carpal tunnel syndrome, if you don't know, is a common condition that can cause pain or numbness or tingling in the hand and the arms, and normally it means it's one of the major nerves to the hand has um, been squeezed and compressed. Do I have a picture of this um, as it goes through the wrist? Um, So my first reaction uh, to the doctor was, Oh, no, like, I'm getting this because I, like, type all these sermons and letters and documents all the time. And he said, no, 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 typing as a cause is one of the biggest myths of carpal tunnel syndrome. He said, it's hereditary. 
your genes, not your typing. And I go, hereditary, woe is me. There's nothing I can do about it. Man, and I thought being Chinese was a good thing. Man, I wish I were Jewish. Oh, my doctor's Jewish. He get, they get it too. Oh, I'll be a Gentile. I am a Gentile. Oh, no. So, and so there's nothing I can do about it. And he goes, oh, no, there's something you can do about it. It can be fixed. It can How? Surgery. No, surgery. Woe is me. Not surgery. Is there anything else I can do to prevent it? Yes. Yes. Wow, great. He says, you can do these two exercises three times a day. And I go, bring them on. What are the exercises? And he said, okay, here's what you do. You put your elbows on a table. Put your hands together like you're praying. And you slide your elbows down. And you hold that for 30 seconds three times a day. I'm thinking, oh, just now, that's like 15 seconds, only 15 more seconds to go, I got one done. And I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. But then I thought, what a great metaphor for seeking and practicing the presence of God in our lives. I mean, imagine this. This could be a prayer reminder for us all. What if three times a day, you all, in your office, in your classroom, if your teacher's not watching, um, just like did this for 30 seconds, asking God for his presence and his voice and his wisdom for hope and maybe just thanking him for his presence in the food or in the weather, our achievements, our, our standing with us and our failures. It could revolutionize our lives three times a day, morning, midday, evening, adjusting our antenna. His presence would increase. We need to be in practice to seek his presence all the time, especially when we need to interpret daily events. He also told me to do another exercise. It was to do this, but that'd be kind of weird to do in the office. Like, oh, it's just me practicing the presence of God. Don't mind me. I'm just doing that. So now this whole thing on prayer, um, God's presence, I'm going to go off on a little tangent. Um, I want to talk about coronavirus a little bit. When something is as dreadful as coronavirus is lurking offshore, if we were in the practice of the presence of God, our first questions would always be these two questions. Where is God in this? And is God asking me to do something? As followers of Jesus, our first instinct should not be to panic or to worry or fret. If we panic, worry, or fret, then what difference is it that you have Jesus in your life? Everybody can panic, worry, and fret. Where is your first love? So always ask every day for all events, where is God in this? What's happening? So yes, starting off, there is a virus that's hitting all of our countries. Is God still with us? Yes. Now maybe he is allowing this so that the world may be called back to him. It's a call for us to worship him and him alone and pray and seek his face and presence. Maybe this scenario is shaking us all up at the core of who or what do we really trust. When our back is to the Red Sea and an enemy army is coming upon us, who do you trust? Is it the CDC? The Center for Disease Control? Is it the WHO, the World Health Organization? Is it the president? Is it the Congress? When we are challenged, do we trust Jesus? 
Or do we like run from him and run to Costco or Sam's Club? <laughs> get all the bottled water and the toilet paper and the Perel. By the way, did you notice we've always had Perel stands near the door when you come in? So like use them. And let's be practical, just as the CDC says, okay, every day, wash your hands a lot, wash them as long as it takes to whistle Yankee Doodle Dandy, because that's how long you have to wash. Cover your mouth if you're sneezing or coughing. Stay home if you're sick. And I would add, everybody just chill, okay? Um, Jesus, his words, our Lord, he told us not to worry. He said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Did you hear that? Worry doesn't help. The coronavirus maybe is a pop quiz to our faith system. Our choice is to freak out or have faith. The second question is, Is God asking me to do something? And I think, yes. Be strong. Be courageous in the face of danger. Be helpful. Be an agent of peace in the community and not fear. You know, in 260 AD, a little church history here, the plague hit Alexandria. But the Christians didn't run away. They stayed in the city to help people. Pope Dionysius, well, he's a bishop maybe back then, um, he wrote of this in his Easter letter that um, Christians show their first love to God and to others. So this is a time, as people panic, for you to show courage, fortitude, be resolute in your faith, and calmness. For does it not say in a book called Second Timothy in the Bible, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So if you have fear, it's not coming from God. He gives you power and love to help others and calm them down and increase their trust in God. He's talking to you right now to calm down. Now, I'm old enough to remember something called Y2K. (laughs) When the media was telling us that when the new millennium starts, the inner clocks of the computers are going to shut down because they can't figure out how to go from 1999 to 2000. And you know what's happening when they shut down? Planes are going to fall out of the sky. Traffic lights are going to work. Cars are going to be crashing. So you better get food and water and stock them in your house. Never happened. Now, Coronavirus is happening, and it may hit our shores. But you can listen to the media, be concerned, but don't freak out. I think the media is fanning some flames. I'm sure God is talking to us right now to calm down. Now, you ask, can God actually talk to us? Can he give us dreams and visions and words or pictures to us? Yes, and I'm going to talk a bit more about that next Sunday, part two. Um, And if you're... um, but if you're missing out, um, I, I, I think you need to do two things. One is pray and pray that God will speak to you. And the second part is, pardon my language, 
then shut up <laughs> and listen. <laughs> listen and, and track your thoughts because sometimes his thoughts are counterintuitive, but they are really from him. And what, what often happens, we pray and then we shut the prayer, zoom off, and we never like listen. So we need to listen to determine, like, is that thought from God? Is it from the enemy? Uh, is it just worldly logic? Is it my imagination or my own anxiety? And we talk sometimes so much in prayer, which is not bad, but then we don't listen. Is it possible that supernaturally we could experience God every day and he talks to us in our thoughts? Yes. If we could grab hold of this core value, we could learn how we can hear God's voice, feel his presence, and it would be natural and second nature to us. Now, our church friend, Mike Pilavachi, will be with us March 22, Sunday, with his co-pastor, Andy Croft, who will be preaching. Here's a picture of, of me, and that's her colleague, uh, Ali Martin, also one of the pastors. And then there's Mike Pilavachi and Andy Croft. Andy's a real smart guy, Cambridge graduate, so we always like to have Cambridge graduates talk to us. Um, I actually told them when I sent this, this is really a picture of uh, Harry Potter on the left, Hermione Granger, uh, Ron um, Weasley on the right, and Hagrid is right over there. <laughs> They liked that email for me. So like last year, we're only going to have two services, as I said, March 22nd, 8.30 and 10.30, so that we can create more space to experience God's presence during the service. And Andy will preach, and Mike will hopefully show us how God will speak supernaturally to us right during the service. So you don't want to miss it. Come early, as I said. Now, I remember he once told me this story, and it really stuck with me, and maybe he'll share it at HIM or with us. But years ago... Um, Mike arrived at the airport late. Um, well, he arrived at the airport. And he missed his flight because he forgot his passport, and he was going to Berlin. And so he called his colleague, Ali, and, um, to run to his house, get the passport, run to the airport, and get it to him in time. Uh, but she arrived uh, too late, and he missed his flight. So Mike is so mad at himself, and so he and Ali are walking sadly back to her car at the airport, and Mike noticed a man standing on his own with a suitcase uh, beside him, and then it happened, God's presence. Mike thought, he had a little flash go across his mind, that man needs encouragement, go and pray for him. And normally, Mike thinks this is crazy, and was about to brush it off, but he mentioned it to Allie, and then he was annoyed to hear Allie say, this has never happened to me before. It's like one of those Christian books. Let's go and pray for him. And Mike tried to assure her, hey, look, it's just a little thought, you know, probably nothing. He was mad at himself. He just wanted to go home and after missing his flight. But she was so excited. And she said, but what if it's from God? What if it's from God? So not wanting to disappoint her, he said, okay, we're just going to like walk past and see if God says anything else. So they walk past the man, nothing. They walk past a second time, nothing. They walk past that man seven times, <laughs> nothing. So out of desperation, Mike finally went up to the man and said, um, excuse me, sir, um, we're not weird, but we think Jesus told us that you need encouragement and we wondered if we could 
pray for you. And the man looked amazed. And he said, I've just arrived in this country to pastor a church in Essex. And I've been waiting for two of the elders of the church to collect me, but they're late. And I've been standing here thinking, what on earth have I done? Why am I here? And I just prayed a little while ago, God, I would love it if you would give me some encouragement before they arrive to collect me. And Mike was stunned. Yes, are you serious? And he said, yes. So they prayed for him. And then Mike and Allie went on their way rejoicing. And he later thought how often he hadn't taken the risk when those kinds of thoughts come. How many times did he think, oh, it's it's just me, it's not God. And you see, prophetic words of the presence of God are not so much predicting the future, like who's going to win the Super Bowl, so you can win bets, or how the stock market's going to do tomorrow, or who will win the Iowa caucus once they finally count their votes. (laughs) It's normally about strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. Somebody said from the first service, yeah, tell us to just take a sec, S-E-C, strengthening, encouraging, comforting. Comforting someone with a word from God that he, that he wants you to give. So this idea is not mine. You know, it's actually how God designed us. The Bible says, but those who prophesy speak to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. There it is. Take a sec. Three reasons God gives us prophetic words. And when we experience his presence, the more and more it will happen, the more you're going to hear his voice. And as a core value, I want our church to always seek the presence of God, to be skilled in hearing his voice, guided by him. And you never know when that voice is going to happen. I was in a medical office this past week, and uh, this employee said, oh, my shoulder really really hurts. It's like an eight out of a 10. I said, really? And I felt the Lord say, why don't you pray for him? Uh, So I said, hey, would you like me to pray for you? And he said, sure. So we went into a side room. And uh, I prayed for him, and then I was leaving, and he goes, whoa, it's really better. I said, so like, what is it now? He goes, wow, it's like dropped to a five. There's still something there, but it's much better. I was in another office two weeks ago, and a a woman there had a really bad um, migraine, uh, close to a 10. And if you ever had a migraine, you can't just like psychologically get them away, right? And I felt God said, why don't you pray a healing prayer for her? And so I asked her, and she said, okay. And as we, were, as we teach, I asked her permission, eh, can I put my hand on your shoulder? And she said, yes. And I prayed, and I asked her, so how are you feeling? And she said, it's gone. I don't have it anymore. And I said, really? I don't know why I always do that. I always do that. Like me of little faith. I said, but I, I always have this childlike wonder and awe. Like, wow, God like showed up in spite of me. But wouldn't it be great if we could all be practiced in this so much that we could pray and miraculously help so many people and share God's love. And I would love this to be something that's natural and second nature for this church. 
I desire as a core value of our church to seek, to listen to God, experience his presence, learn how to pray in his presence and heal and strengthen, encourage and comfort people and hear his voice. Because, you know, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, there's this great verse where he says this, my sheep listen to my my voice because he's the great shepherd. And as God's presence is a process, I know for some of you, you may really want to pray with someone right now that God is doing something in your hearts. And know that our prayer team will be in front of the choir risers and in front of the cross here, and they would love to pray with you, whatever your issue might be. But for all of you, I have a blessing, so please receive this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his grace be upon you. May his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful presence of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And know that he is with you always. In Christ's name, amen. The presence of God. What are we without it? Ultimately, not much. That's why it's one of the core values here at First Press. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Press website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.11. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. If you need more, call us at 808 808- Five three two one 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 one. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thanks for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2020 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.